Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by WitchSchool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. And of course, you're on our very special show, Chicago Pagans, uh, the fourth episode of said show with me, Ed the Pagan, uh, venturing around my fair city, my hometown, and looking and talking to Pagans over this. So I want to thank everybody who's come out and listened to us so far. Um, I've appreciated the fact that, you know, every show has reached a thousand, more than a thousand listeners. And uh, I, I thank you. Um, I know that doesn't seem like some people, it seems like a lot to others, but for me, Every person is very, very important to our audience, and so it makes less sense. And so it makes absolute sense. I don't care how many people listen, as long as it's you personally enjoy what you're hearing, and let me know what you like. You can always check it out. You can always DM me on my Facebook pages. You can talk to us in Chicago Pagan Group, or who knows? There's all sorts of different ways. Maybe even telepathy. Um, to answer some of the uh, so. so I, I'm glad that everybody's enjoyed this part. I Last time I talked a little bit about Chicago statistics. But here's one of those news that people don't realize. So Chicago has the oldest occult bookstore in the nation. As far as we can tell, the numbers really do sh- show up and do it that is still active and alive. And they're undergoing some change, so we'll be talking to them sometime soon. Check it out. Chicago's occult bookstore. Occult bookstore. And check it out. You can look it up on Google. Check them out. That's one of those little facts that we've got about Chicago. And the, another fact about Chicago is that we probably have more – we do. This is a known fact of the problem. We have more religious denominations, different religious denominations than any other city in the world. And I think that includes paganism. And I get to explore something else. A lot of the people that have been on so far, um, I personally know. This is a new experience for me. And uh, – I'm going to introduce Chris Aldridge. Is that correct, way? Chris Aldridge, is that the correct pronunciation? Yes? Hello? Yeah, hi. Thank you for inviting me. And is it Chris uh, Aldridge is the right, correct way to pronounce it? Yes, that's correct. Chris yeah. Aldridge is right. Okay, good. And um, I think Chris Ronnie is very active in the forums. He has a number of different types of I groups. Um. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? For those who have ne- have don't know much about you, what would you like to tell people know about you? Well, um, as you said, I'm Chris Alders, as many people know. Um, I'm originally from North Carolina, as you can probably tell. But I have um, I have lived in Illinois since 2012, and I know a lot of people don't like Illinois, but I actually love it. Um, don't want to go back to North Carolina. And uh, dominantly, my life is centered around my religion. I have been an ancient Greek priest for nearly a decade, and I've operated my own temple for the same amount of time. And it's the temple of the Greek gods. Can you explain that a little bit to people? I mean, I guess for a lot of people, it's the idea that the gods, um, that the gods of the Greek mythology have been made into comic book characters and other things like that. So people said, can you really, you know, it, you know, so the, are they really God worthy of worship? I mean, do you run into that? Um, actually, no, no, I've never ran into that. Um, really, okay. the the, the people the, the people who make you know like modern stories and comics out of out of the Greek gods, they're not they're not 
even in the Hellenic community, they're just modern authors and modern storytellers. Um, you know, like um, I don't know who did Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Um, I don't know his name. I think it's Rick Riordan or something like that. Um, okay. But anyway, um, you know, he's just a fictional writer. He's not a Hellenist. Um, but you know, as far as in the Hellenic community, no, I've never ran into that. Mm-mm. Never. That's interesting. Oh, good. Uh, I know that a lot of. I know a lot of people who are in the North face the yeah, heathens and also always oh, getting that because theirs has been made to such popular comics. Yeah, I mean, the, the mythology still holds sway over people's minds today, and I guess that's a good thing. But in the Hellenic community, we're very serious about our worship, so we don't, uh, you know, we, we don't make fun of the gods or do comics or anything like that. We are, you know, just like the ancients would have been. We're just as reverent as they are. Okay. Well, I mean, it makes that, that that sort of thing is. Um, and one of the things you uh, you've done a number of uh, of books, and you've taken mm-hmm. good advantage. And I always yell to tell people take good advantage of it. Um, that you've so is it six books currently, if I understand right? I'm sorry, is it what? Six books right now that you have. Yes, on. yes, I, I believe it's six. Yeah. Uh, I'll self-publish okay. currently, but I've also I've also had some second-party traditional publications uh, in in the Hellenic and religion, the paganism category. Um, but mainly those are articles, uh, things like that. I've been published in Circle Magazine when they were out; uh, they're discontinued now. And I've, I, but I also have um, two articles in Witches and Pagans magazine, and a third one coming out, I believe, in the same magazine this year or early next, anyway. And I'm a big believer in self. Yeah. You are, this I think is one of the most important things. The fact that you can self-publish now, oh, it makes mm-hmm. your life so much easier because it's yeah. much more well, variety I mean, of it. Yeah, 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 it's true. I mean, it, it it's really good that a lot of people can get published who otherwise might not be able to and and get their their voice out there. But um, you know, traditional publishing is still the way to go in my opinion because you're going to have a company that. Uh, puts their own time and money behind your promotion and your work. They're they're gonna they're gonna help it sell a lot better because they have the power to do so. So you know if if I could go from self-publishing to traditional, I, I would definitely. You'd be surprised at how little they may actually help. I've, I've talked to a lot of authors, so it's you know so it's just a matter of getting out there. But um, I thought it was very interesting because you one of the things about you had a, your book is uh, Theseus, right? And yeah, I wrote that a long time ago. For, yeah, and you, but it has really right now today has a lot to do. As you know, today where people are are screaming bloody murder over so many things. But you explained how the hero uh, of ancient Greece and uh, they became founders of American democracy through that book. Is that not? Mm-hmm. Do I understand that right? Can you explain that? Yeah, I mean that, that. Yeah, I mean that's part of it. I mean, you know, I heard a lot of um, back then, especially. You know, there were a lot of uh, – I don't know if you heard this story, but I think that the Texas Department of Edu- Public Education, I think they put Moses in their history books as a founding father of America, um, which I have no idea how that works. Um, I guess that I – guess, I guess they thought that you know, the ideals, some of the ideals influenced America that, that he had. And so I thought you know, if you're going to do that, you got to make Theseus a founding father of America too because he founded the first democracy in Athens. And uh, he, he was also the founder of the unification of the region of Attica. He was uh, uh, really the idealist for – how should I put this? A union staying together. 
um, bringing us all together into one people, you know, instead of a house divided against itself. So, yeah, Theseus, you definitely have to put him down as a as a founding father of America if, if you're going to look at it in terms of ancient leaders. And, you know, that's really true. If you go into the House of Representatives today in Washington and you look up on the wall, you'll see pictures of so many different historical people throughout history, lawmakers and, and the like. And um, one of two of them is Salon of Athens and Lycurgus of Sparta, both Hellenic polytheists. That's interesting because I also know the uh, one of my favorites of those Minerva as well. Um, mm-hmm. They do have have uh, they have lots of images of Minerva throughout the uh, through the um, Washington D.C. as well. So I find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, well, is yeah. it a lot? So is it basically true? A lot of the architecture around these, a lot of that sort of Greek belief, that Greek democracy, that Greek heroic stance, and that's like throughout our entire like Washington D.C. and our Greek our culture at the time, we didn't follow like oh, everything. Everything no, we followed the Roman model, but we did. We followed the mm-hmm. Greek model. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, the Romans um, pretty much adopted the Greek culture, you know. But but yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, a- ancient Greece flows through our veins in, in every way you can you can imagine. I mean, when you're when you when you're not a Hellenist, you're just an average you know American walking around, and you may not have one religion or another. You're just a typical mainstream person, you know. Um, and you look at the White House, and you look at the you know the Senate building, and you look at um, you know many of our courthouses. You don't really think about the architecture. You don't really think that's an ancient Greek temple until you go until you go looking at the history and you realize that it looks like an ancient Greek temple. And then you have to ask yourself why. And it's like, well, ancient Greece was the founder of the first democracy. So, you know that that's where we that's where we get our our heritage from. That's at least one place. And that's that's one of the great things about America is that she has no sole heritage. She is a place for everyone from everywhere. She draws all the best things of every civilization into her. She is not exclusive at all. She is very much an open-minded country. Couldn't have said it better. Let me take a different uh, approach. So, so Hercules, okay, probably the best-known singular Greek character, I believe, of gods. Hmm? The demigods. You say Hercules. Hercules. I'm sorry. Hercules, yeah. yeah. Hercules. Probably, probably the single best known god, I would think, uh, to the average populace currently. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been surprised in MC uh, that they haven't brought in Hercules, which is a big character in the MC, uh, the MC universe as well. It was for a long time. It had his own comic books. They've had television series. They've had, um, again, uh, just recently with um, Lucy Lawless was playing uh, another. So we have this image of Hercules. And Hercules mm-hmm. is seen as a very positive figure throughout most of our history. But if you read his storyline, he's, he's not as innocent a being and as popular and heroic a being as, as one would think. He, he really did mm-hmm. weird, difficult things and did, you know, had to make up for some of the things he did. So... Mm-hmm. But he's become such a character in our lives, such an important part. Can you explain, can you know, it's an enduring story. So can you tell us a little bit about Hercules? I mean, kind of the idea of it. I mean, do do you respond to this? Or as a Hellenic reconstructionist, how do you deal with like these 
mythical images, these folk images of the gods. Well, I mean, when when you're talking about the mythology, it's a it's, it's a very open-minded subject. It's very much open to interpretation. Um, some Hellenists may not look at the myths as literal. Some of them may look at it as you know metaphorical or allegorical, symbolic things like that. So it, it all depends on on the opinion of the person that you know you're talking to. But in ancient times, Heracles was was worshipped as both a hero and a god. Um, he manifested as both. So uh, when when it comes to uh, a lot of the things in Heracles' story, and notice I say Heracles, I don't say Hercules. I say Heracles, the ancient pronunciation, because his name means glory of Hera, and it's spelled H-E-R-A-K-L-E-S. So that's how you pronounce it in Greek. His name is Heracles. Um, story about you know um, some of his, his violence and things that are not so admirable. I think that when you think about Heracles, he was a he was a warrior. He was a he was a very strong person. He probably no doubt served in the military at some point. He probably no doubt served in war. And my guess is probably he had a good case of PTSD. Um, and they didn't know what it was back then. And if you have PTSD, you know that you know you can have a moment where you still think you're on the battlefield and attack your friends. You know, so I think that he, I think that in some of those cases, he may have been a, you know, a, a victim of that that sad condition. But you know, his labors were his redemption. His labors were his efforts at redeeming himself before the gods and before humanity, and he achieved it. And I think that what it shows is that something that I very much loved is that no matter how far you sink, no matter how how much bad that you've done in your life, the gods the gods will give you a way to get out. There is always a way to rise above what you've done. You don't have to stay there. No matter how bad it's been, no matter how wrong the things have been that you've done, you can rise above it. You can become better. You can become a hero, and Heracles became a god. And so what matters is the good things you've done in your life. Do they outweigh the bad? Have you paid for what you've done? Have you made up for what you've done? And you know, Heracles had a choice. He could either choose to… Remain the way he was, or he could choose to do better, and he chose to do better. He did everything that he possibly could within his power to become a better person, and I think that's within the capability of all of us. I do find it interesting. I'm a big believer in, in kind of that strange idea that said gods want to be remembered. Big thing about gods being mm-hmm. remembered, and the fact that, that you remember in such a way. I have to remember that. I have to try practicing that. I'm not going to try it right now. I'm not going to embarrass myself. Uh, but uh, we probably mispronounce a lot of the words out there. But so you have actually a temple that actually is dedicated to the worship of the divine. The Greek, the, the Greek uh, gods, yeah. All, 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 all of, of ancient gods. Greek divinity, really. Yeah. Okay. And that basically is – and that you have this sort of community that you have, which is very unusual because – and one thing is the paganism, and nothing against myself because I'm a Wiccan. But you think Wiccan, mm-hmm. and then sometimes you think Northern, you know, European, and then you think, oh, well, maybe they're a shaman. Or if you get really exotic, that maybe they're Lithuanian, they're part of those groups and everything else. I don't think a lot of people, especially in the city of Chicago, and I find it fascinating, would think of, of the Greek gods as, as some of something in a modern age, especially in the middle of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Can you tell, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit how did you get how did you get here? Well, that's a very well. You mean 
You mean how I got to making the temple and everything? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, how do we have a, a Greek a Greek temple in Chicago that's actually practicing and actually doing a great job and doing these amazing things? Yes, I would be fascinated. I'm fascinated by the idea that you got here somehow. Okay, well that that's a very long story, but um, you know we're, we're certainly not the only ancient Greek organization out there that they exist everywhere. Um, but you know, I founded the temple because I wanted a place of worship for everyone who loved the Greek gods. Like you said, there's a lot of different denominations out there, a lot of different paths, and some people may feel welcome in some and not in others. And you know, I just wanted a community where, you know, if you believe in the Greek gods, the Greek spirits, the Greek heroes, the Greek divinities. We can all come together and worship together, and we don't have to worry about, uh, you know, what one person may or may not believe, how one person may or may not practice. We can b- build a a strong community for all Greek polytheists, and that's what I wanted to do. And you know, when you're when you're serious about work as a priest, it can be it can be challenging at times, but also rewarding. I always say that, you know, when you're a clergy, you commit yourself to seeing the best and worst of the world. You might be you might be called to bless a newborn baby, or you might be asked to do a funeral for one. Um, people message me and ask me to pray for them because of their employment or their family situation. I do see more good than bad, but you do have to take it all in. And so it has to be something you enjoy doing, and I, I very much do. I love being a priest. I love getting up every day with the gods and you know the gods in my life and knowing that I can touch someone's life in a positive way. I think that the world needs more people like that and more organizations like that, especially now. Um, you know, a long time ago, a member of my clergy actually talked someone out of suicide before. So each day, my mission is to make the world a better place to the best of my ability. And I think that should be the purpose of every priest or priestess or leader of any, you know, pagan organization. Um, but where my life started was a long way away from the temples of Greece. I was born in Asheboro, North Carolina, and raised in Thomasville as a Baptist, and it was about as radical as you could get with Southern Baptism. Uh, I was a Christian for a very long time, but I first experienced um, ancient Greece when I was in ninth grade. As part of world history, world literature, uh, we had to study the Odyssey. That's when I was officially hooked on Greek mythology, and from that point on, I always entertained the idea of starting a new religion the ancient Greek religion in my life, but Christianity was still embedded into me so much so that it took the gods themselves to to undo it. And so my, my journey into paganism officially started one night in 2007, I believe it was. Um, I had just got a job as a security officer, and I was working third shift, and it was in October. And right before I went to work that night, I don't know where it came from, but I just suddenly got the inkling to start practicing witchcraft. I, I, I can't explain it other than just a sudden, you know, it just came over me. I was like, this sounds really cool. I think I'm going to go do it. So I went to Barnes & Noble, and I bought all the books I could on it, mainly Christopher Penzak. But that's how I first started learning about the old gods and the old ways and things like that. We don't practice witchcraft and Hellenism, but that's where I started. And so – but, you know, even though I was really getting into it, I was still scared to leave Christianity, so I was a Christian witch for a long time. And then I met my wife, and she was Wiccan. She was living in Chicago at the time, and we met on YouTube. And she came down to visit me, and we just – you know, we became inseparable, and we started living together in High Point, North Carolina, 
in 2009, the summer of 2009. And the, the night that changed both of our lives forever, uh, we went to, I'm not sure how it happened, but uh, what we think it may have been something that we bought from a local thrift store, but we went to a local thrift store to buy some table and chairs for our new apartment. And um, I had been in that thrift store before, and unlike a lot of others, it was a very dismal feeling place. I mean, it was dark and kind of depressing. You could just feel that it was just not a good atmosphere. So uh, we bought a table and chairs and we came home and there was just something that had either attached itself or followed us because a, a haunting manifested in our apartment and it was really, really bad. I'm not talking about, you know, like seeing stuff out of the corner of your eye or whatever. I'm talking about being attacked. I'm talking about door slamming. I'm talking about hearing things running and things like that. I'm sorry? A full manifestation of sorts. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it was really bad. It was really bad. And um, so my initial thought was to do a Christian. You know, I, I had been brought up in Christianity so much that even after I officially converted to Hellenism, that programming was still in my head. And it filtered over into my new religion a little bit because it was so embedded. I had to work to get it out of me. But as I was saying, when the, the haunting started, the first thing I knew to do was to do a Christian exorcism. So I was you know, calling on Jesus and St. Michael and all that to, 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 to get the, the spirit out or the energy or whatever it was, and nothing worked. And I, w I did not get any response whatsoever, and it, it, would just, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And – my wife just suggested because, I mean, she was Wiccan. She was pagan, so she knew about the old gods, and so did I, but I wasn't following them at the time. And so she suggested, why don't we call on the Greek gods? And I don't know why she suggested that, but she just did. She kind of felt like that that's what we should do. That's how she explained it. And so I thought, well, you know, nothing else is working, and this is a dire situation. I mean I was scared to death. you got to understand it was the worst spiritual situation I've ever been in. It was terrifying. Um, and so I said, okay, let's do it. And so I called on Athena and Apollo, and within five minutes, it was over. Um, I would say that I had tried the Christian exorcism for at least 30 minutes to an hour with no results. And when I called on the Greek gods, it was over in a matter of minutes. And you know, the, the, the god that I had spent so many years serving and so many years dedicated to who never showed up, and the Greek gods came without me ever having given a single offering or a single act of devotion, and they were more than glad to help. And since that time, we've never had any other experience that bad. Um, they completely dispelled it, completely destroyed the, the evil, the negativity, whatever it was in there. And since that time, the next morning, we became Greek polytheists, um, and that was our new path, and we just started studying from there. And in 2010, when my son was born shortly after, I decided to open our own temple, and that's where we started, and it's been going ever since. So let me ask you – well, let me unpack this a little bit. So I, I honor and respect the Southern Baptist uh, – that I was born and raised in a church called Fairfield Baptist Church in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, Wicca became – everybody knows my story, so we don't need to repeat that. Um, but I do understand that, that sort of thing. And I, I argue to this day that there's nothing we do. I mean, I'm trying to get that 
Christian mentality out of people's heads. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Today. Yeah, I mean, I mean, today. yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 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 a real problem, and I'll, I'll give you an example. When um, in 2009, right after I had converted to Hellenic polytheism, I actually, when when I first started my new religion, there were times when I actually tried to pray with people, when I tried to convert people, unbeknownst to the fact that that was a big no-no, that that was just wrong to do in Hellenism, wrong to do in in paganism um, or polytheism. We don't do that stuff, right? But you know, that was the only way I had ever been taught to practice religion. I had always been taught that that's what you do. You try to get people to convert. You try to pray with people. You try to convince them that you're always the right way, and you don't realize until you get into it that you don't have to live that way. Everybody doesn't have to agree with you and they to be valid. People don't have to follow you for you to be valid, for you to feel comfortable in what you're doing. There's many different ways. Well said. I agree with you a lot on that. So I can understand that. You, you mentioned a new religion. So you, you do not see yourself like you, you didn't get initiated by some some ancient tradition or there isn't, you know, none of that, right? This is you right. reconstruction and your people and mm-hmm. you're working with people that you work with. Is there a large reconstructionist movement or is there is there other reconstructionist movements that you're working with? Um, um, oh, I'm, some that I'm part of, I don't work. I don't know what you mean by working with, but um, actually when I first started, I wasn't a Reconstructionist. I was more of a Hellenic neo-pagan, but later on I, I became more conservative in my in my religion. I became more of a Reconstructionist. Um, but so yeah, there, there's the difference many organizations. I'm sorry? Do you see the difference? I, I'm very interested. I, I, I love the nuances of this. I think all paths in the pagan world is valid. Right and everything else, mm-hmm. but you talking about Hellenist neo pagan, and now you and I saw that you're a reconstructionist. Mm-hmm. What do you see as a difference well, I mean, between those you, two? Well, I mean, at, at least from my eyes, when you're a Hellenic neo pagan, you you worship the Greek gods and you draw from the ancients, but you don't dedicate yourself solely to the way they did things. You can do things your own way. You can invent new things even sometimes. Which I mean, in reconstructionism, you can do that too, as long as it doesn't contradict the ancient worldview. Um, but you know, when you're a neo-pagan, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Um, but when you're a reconstructionist, you you adhere to the to the ancient mode of things, the ancient structure, the way the ancients practiced, the way the way they did things. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with being yourself. There's nothing wrong with inventing your own stuff, as long as it doesn't contradict the ancient ways. Um, and you know, really, uh, there's nothing wrong with being anything that you want that's not Hellenic. Just don't call it Hellenic. Um, if, if that's what you want to be, but uh, the difference is really, you know, neo-pagan versus you know new versus old. Neo-pagans make up new make their, make their new ways, make new ways of doing things, and the reconstructionists stick to the ways things have always been, the old ways. But I do know that one of the big things that I've had explained to me by um, uh, various forces, including uh, uh, Mr. Thorne once, is that the difference of of the gods is that in the pagan movement, the reconstructionist movements are oftentimes retapping into old power, the old egregores, the old forces of those gods on earth. Whereas uh, mm-hmm. pagan, pagans, especially neo-pagans, are really trying to draw them forward into a more modern, into the context they can understand. And that the mm-hmm. idea of reconstructionism was that when you rebuild this, that you can feel that ancient memory, that which uh, remember mm-hmm. survives. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it's a continuance of 
of what was you know cut off in the middle, cut off in its in its prime really. Um, it, you know, it, it's it's just a continuance of the way things were. But um, most of my readers, I think, are neo pagans. And one thing I really love about my work is that even as a reconstructionist, um, I can craft it in a way that everyone can use it. Because you know, reconstructionists can use it because it's you know highly based on the ancient ways, and neo pagans mm -hmm. can use it because they can use whatever they want, right? So I mean, th th they can they can practice old and new ways if they want to. And I think most of my readers are neo pagans, and I, I think most of the people in my temple are neo pagans. And, you know, I, cer I certainly don't have a problem with that. Absolutely. So I actually have one in my my own practices a. A ideology, a story that I kind of mentioned to show that of the gods that, in some ways, the gods will keep us dumb and slow and worshiping unless we choose to look at things better. And it's the story of Prometheus. I actually love the story mm -hmm. of Prometheus. It brings fire to humanity, simplifying it, and is willing to 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 be sacrificed. And if you understand the mythology, he's never been rescued from the side of the mountain where the eagle still rips his thing. He's still there. As far as no, mythology not. goes, no, no, he's not. Yeah, that's way we Heracles. We're, we're, no, Heracles, re Heracles released him. Really? Okay. So why is that not often mm -hmm. told that part of the story? But the idea of but, this sort yeah, of that's... idea that the gods, the gods, one of the ideas is that be careful that you know that there's inspiration in gods, but there's just as much of God as following the gods would leave us dumb and just worshiping, and sort of that road energy. Mm -hmm. And that a god would well, actually force. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I certainly don't. I certainly don't think they want us to remain dumb. I mean, uh, we, otherwise we wouldn't have a goddess of wisdom. <laughs> you know, they, they certainly don't want us to to be dumb. They're, uh, you know, all wisdom is found in the gods, and and you you gain a lot of wisdom by by following them and seeking them out. But um, what I was going to say was, uh, as far as Prometheus, you know, and giving the gift of mm -hmm. fire to man. Sometimes I think to myself, you know, what was the was the anger based on the fact that the gods knew that humanity just wasn't ready for that yet? And really when you think about it, when you think of the story of fire and everything, what it's really talking about is intelligence. What it's really talking about is technology and advancement. And Prometheus was the creator of mankind. He he didn't only just give man fire, he created man. And so the story goes that all the creatures of the world were created before man was. Man was created last. And so all the other creatures have been given all these amazing abilities and weapons. They've been given these, you know, really sharp teeth, all these big claws. They could, you know, they were physically strong. They could run tremendous speeds, jump tremendous distances. You know, they were given all these wonderful abilities and all these amazing weapons. And when it came to man, uh, he was made last, and so there was nothing else to give him. And that's why we don't have all the things that animals have. That's why, you know, if I go up to my cat and I, you know, scratch her, you know, it's not going to affect her. But if she scratches me, I'm going to have a serious wound because she has the, the weapons. I wasn't given any, not physically. So that's why we don't have all the things that other animals have. So what the gods did instead, they gave us a magnificent mind. They gave us the ability to overcome all the other things. They gave us the intelligence to, to know how to, to beat all the other weapons and all the other powers. And they knew that eventually, you know, the, you know, uh, the gods said, okay, if you're going to put this human being on earth, that's fine, but 
they're probably not going to last too long. And so Prometheus said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll give him an amazing brain, and he will eventually rule everything because that brain, that mind, comes from the gods. See, I love that sort. Of, I love that sort of thing, and it's a big formation. People don't realize that those thoughts of man having a divine mind that would eventually even become part of Christianity and other parts of different faiths, especially in the modern, more mm-hmm. modern New Age, came out of this these mythologies, these basic stories hmm, that we are telling, mm-hmm. and then we tell them badly, like I have done tonight, and I really appreciate you sharing them back with me. So I get some of these stories through like a through the pop culture filter, right? And mm-hmm. um, and I because I have an interest in them, I probably pick them up a little bit more than most people. But so this sort of this, but isn't it? But isn't it what you're showing a lot of ways when you start to tell these stories and when you look at this that the gods still continue to exist? If there's something that is remembered, persists, isn't isn't in your faith, your practices? Being that much of a reference to show you real signs of the gods' existence. As far as the stories go. Yes. You know how people, you know, how the stories have, have continued to generate. That you actually have a way to getting to the stories. Because I'm going to presume that when you start to do research, you're doing it probably through archaeology, right? Mm-hmm. Through. Right. Um, it's not through the pop culture side, and that's where all the stories that have been, you know. Passed down, or is it? I mean, mm-hmm. I remember well, my I mean, big, big book of Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, I the, the thing about the thing about Greek mythology is that uh, probably one of the reasons that we don't have a central text that is considered an ultimate authority is because there was no unified Greece. It's really dishonest to say the ancient Greek religion because there were several ancient Greek religions. Um, they all believe all the cities believed in the same gods, but they all had their own calendars, their own rituals, their own beliefs, and their own myths, um, their own cults, their own orders. Um, and so, depending on where you went in the ancient Greek world, you might get a different version of every myth. Of, of, of any given myth, you might get a different version of it. So it would all depend on where you went and who you talked to. And I think that I think what that shows us is that you know we all look at the gods in different ways uh, a, a myth is based on our own understanding of something at the time um you know like if if you and i wrote a book about chicago if, if we both lived there i've been there i don't live there but if you and i both wrote a book about chicago about the same city the same places we're both going to tell them in completely different ways or what's going to have completely different experiences well i agree with that and that's a very important part of why I'm doing this show about Chicago Pagans is that even even within a very small community that's growing and becoming ever more popular, there's a lot of variation. And and I must tell you that this is I, – I find you refreshing. I find this this idea that there is this, uh, this pattern of it. So do you do public rituals, and do your people do public rituals, or do you, is your group mostly private? We do do public rites. Um, as a matter of fact, at just uh, the end of July, we celebrated Panathenia, which is the annual – the greater Panathenia. Um, as a matter of fact, there were actually two. The lesser Panathenia was celebrated every year, and the greater was celebrated every four years in Athens. But um, the greater Panathenia was this year, and so uh, – but we celebrated every year, but this year was the greater. 
And so uh, that was a public festival of Athena and of Athens, and uh, we in, we went out to the park, and anybody who wanted to come could come. And, uh, huh. you know, they, they can just join in if they want to. So, yeah, sometimes we do do public rights. And do you – and so – okay, so now <clears throat> I'm a young pagan today, and – I've done the same thing. I followed the same sort of little path. I've gone into Wicca, kind of seeing like, okay, I like that well enough. I went to witch school. I took mm-hmm. my first reading class, and I've taken a little bit of mythology and things like that. Oh, my God, I got into Greek mythology. But these guys have no clue about how to deal with it. I want to know more about the gods. How would somebody go from there? How would you recommend, you know, how would you take somebody that, I just said, like yourself, came along and just had the sudden interest, the strong uh, need for it. For you, it was very strong because of the fact that you had a spiritual encounter that the gods helped, in, helped you remove the threat to mm-hmm. yourself and kept you protected ever since. I mean, you have that dramatic mm-hmm. moment, but up until that moment, so how would you, so if somebody was young, how would they come through you? I mean, could they come through you? Could they find, you know, could they, you know, could they yeah. Oh, of course, of course, they come to me. I'd, I'd be glad to teach them. But the the okay. advice I would give to anybody wanting to seriously look at Greek mythology or Greek religion as a as a spiritual pursuit, as a serious path in their life, I would recommend that they don't read modern authors that are not Hellenists, because normally when you read those people, they're not they're looking at it from an outsider's perspective at best, and they're not really going to give it serious thought. They're not going to look at it from a religious point of view. Um, you're not really going to get a in, – in terms of religion, you're not really going to get a serious perspective or, or even a fair or balanced perspective, especially if it's written by a Christian, right? So you know, they just simply don't understand it. So what I would recommend is that you seek out people who do, and the internet today has made that possible in a whole new way. I mean you asked about organizations. Uh, one big reconstructionist organization is called Hellenian. I'm a member of that that, that group, that organization, and uh, they do basic education classes, absolutely wonderful, um, and very cheap to join. But um, they they have wonderful education classes, and they'll very they very much explain everything in, in really good detail, and, and give you all these really good sources you can read from um, that are really going to help people who are wanting to do it religiously and spiritually. So what I would suggest is to seek out people who actually follow it, to not read from people who don't, because you know e- even those of us who follow it, even though I mean even someone like me, I've been a I've been a follower for ten years, um, or actually of two thousand yeah ten years, and uh, a priest for ten, for almost ten, and I'm still studying stuff, I'm still learning new stuff. I, I I've read Walter Burkert's Greek religion three times. I'm going to read it a fourth. <laughs> so I mean, you know, I'm I'm still learning stuff. I'm still having to look stuff up. So you can just imagine someone trying to explain it who's not a Hellenist, who's never been in it, who's just writing it because they want to give their opinion on it, right? They want to sell a book. You can probably imagine how accurate that's going to be. So my only suggestion would be to seek it out from credible people and organizations. That makes sense, but it's going to be hard to find, so that it is. But you can also look up where can they find your stuff before. So where can we find your your materials? How do we get your book? Oh, okay. Uh, well, I've had my own blog and website for a long time, very successful for my community. I think um, it's gotten over two hundred five thousand views so far since it's been online. 
Um, it's simply um, C Aldridge.net. It's C my last name then .net. Um, C A L D R I D G E. All right. Right, and then .net. Uh, yeah, remember, I, I, as much as I, I, so I always tell people, I, I tell all our leadership, we're a very small community. We don't realize how small we are sometimes, even amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, and we've been working, all mm-hmm. of us have been working on this for, for so very long in our own various ways that we we are starting to realize that we have a larger community out there that wants to connect with us. <clears throat> hmm yeah, and also um, my, my temple's website is also um, – it's very simple to remember. It's just the initials of the organization. It's totgg.org, and you go there, and you can read about our temple, and you can get a link to our Facebook page. And on our Facebook page, I do also do um, live video rights at times. Um, I'm not doing any at this moment because we're in the process of moving, but once I get – you know, all that settled away, I'll start them up again. But I usually do them every week for people. But you also have ones on tape or back on on YouTube, right? Uh, yeah. Do I have any on YouTube? Um, I do have a YouTube channel, but I don't really use it that much. I'm not I'm not really that big on it. Normally, I'll all just right. post stuff there when I don't. Normally, I'll just post stuff there as a backup if I don't want to. You know, if I happen to lose it somewhere. I gotcha. So. And one of the things, um, so there's a there's there's so there's something that I'm working on. So I want to take you in the last space of, uh, of it, um, if I can. So I want to tap your knowledge of this, as I find this fascinating. Is that inside the Greek mythologies and the stories that I've read? And again, I know nothing. I, as I've said, I've dictated this through the popular culture. As I do, just make it all the time. It drives them crazy because. They always like you should know better. No, no, this is the way I get my stuff. Um, is the idea of an egregore? I don't know if you've heard of the term before. It's all. It's a Greek. Actually, it's a Greek. Huh? It's um, from I don't the Greek think so. word um, watcher. It's from the Greek word of called a watcher. And it's the idea of the okay. great angel, like it's because these great beings, and it's the idea of a watcher. Hmm. And I guess that's uh, the idea of it. And the idea of it is an oracle. And inside a lot of the Greek stories is the oracles of Delphi and the oracles, uh-huh. the oracle culture. Was that as much of a thing as it, as we make it out, or is it, that just a part of uh, another one of those weaves of stories that we we so much enjoy in it? But it was, or is there a real value to oracles within the Greek mythology, the Greek actual practice of it? Oh yeah, I mean yeah. oracles were were extre- oracles were extremely popular and extremely valued, especially. The Oracle of Delphi. I mean, one of the maxims of Delphi is to admire oracles, and that's one of the the maxims are, you know, at, at least one code of conduct for Hellenists. Um, but yeah, the, the Oracle of Delphi was was the most renowned oracle of, of the ancient Greek world. Everybody went to her before doing anything important, especially city states, especially their governments. They would always go ask her before they embarked on on any serious enterprise. They would always ask her what to do. So yeah, absolutely. It was a very influential, very big practice. <clears throat> and was and the Oracle Delphi wasn't just one person. It was a, was it a title or a seat, or was it literally a one person for a period of time? Well, I the yeah I, yeah it was one person at a time. The the Oracle was was a woman and um called the Pythia, but I think that um, she also had assistants who helped her decipher. 
And I, I think that oh, they sure. were actually the ones who I think that they were actually the ones who delivered the message to the petitioner. But but yeah, the, the prophecies always came directly from her. And so she was sitting and, in and the I, seat, and that's gotcha. Yeah, and, I, I, and uh, actually there is a re- actually there is a really good book. It is called um, I think it's called 100 Prophecies of the Delphic Oracle, and it lists all the known prophecies the or that the Delphic Oracle made. And not only does it list that, but the author talks about how they unfolded. He, he talks about, um, you know, how it really happened. So basically, he gives validity to to her prophecies. He shows how they took place after she predicted them. It's a really good book. Oh, absolutely! It sounds like a wonderful book because I mean that holds a lot of fascination because of the uh, uh, various stories. Of the prophecies and how it had, and people may not actually know what she actually prophesied, but she knows that she prophesied and made a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I think. One, I think that's uh, probably the most fascinating thing I've um, I've discovered tonight. Is just that I didn't realize how much of this. Of, of again, as I look into the pagan sort of culture that we're emerging with, which is that we have a lot of people who believe want to believe in the gods and they want to believe in everything else. And they want to believe in a better world. And the most important thing mm-hmm. they want to believe in is the world unending. They don't want this idea of apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and I mean, you know, the the, the reason that the reason the ancient Greeks, uh, well, one of the reasons that they sought out the oracle for everything is is the same reason they sought out the gods for everything because they didn't have a word for religion. Um, their religion was their life, and their life was their religion. It was intertwined into everything, and and that's the way we are today. The the gods are they take part in everything that we do. Um, they're they're just as real to me as as you are. They're 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 literal beings, and they take mm-hmm. part in everything we do. They they t- they take part in everything we do and and every everything that 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 is. They are the consciousness of the universe, if you will. They are they are the rulers. They are the order. And so, to to a Helene, from the time they get up to the time they go to bed, and even when they're dreaming, because we, there's a god of dreams as well. Even every moment you take breath. The gods are involved in everything. They're everywhere, and so I don't. Re- I don't really like using the term religion, honestly, as a Helene, but I, I. But I use it, you know, because it's appropriate to use for people who don't understand these days. But that's why the Greeks sought out the oracle for everything, because right. the gods were part of everything, and it, it, they just they ruled daily life. So wow, this has been really, really fascinating. Um, I appreciate it. Alrighty. So I, so I come. So you, so I ask last thing. So you're not a Chicagoan originally. Uh, you're you're here now. Uh, no, I don't live in Chicago. I, I live in South Beloit. I'm getting ready to move to McChesney Park. I like to visit Chicago. Um, I don't know if I'd like to live there, but um, I do like to visit. Okay. It's your wife is from Chicago originally, huh? Well, actually, she's originally she from Freeport, from- Illinois, but 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 she but she lived in Chicago for. A uh, few years, I think. Terrific. Um, so, so, so I should see one last thing. So I see that you like Godzilla. I do. I'm a big fan of Godzilla. I'm okay. a big sci-fi guy, especially when it comes to Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. So, so, ever, yeah, since, so, ever since I was a kid. Me too. I'm a big Godzilla fan. Mothra. So. Other than Godzilla, which, what is your favorite Godzilla that's so far? Do you have a favorite Godzilla? My favorite movie? Um, 
I would say the twenty fourteen. I, I would say the twenty fourteen is pretty is really good. Um, That's interesting. You know, when I was, um, yeah, I mean, you know, originally Godzilla was not a friend to humanity. Originally, he was a destructor, um, but but he eventually became a friend and defender at, at least sometimes. And um, right. You know that's one of that's one of the things I always loved about him. Um, I would like to think I'm a little bit better looking, but I do think that I'm kind of like Godzilla in some ways. But uh, you know, when I was a kid, I I loved Godzilla. My grandpa let me watch him all the time, and we would. <laughs> um, thankfully, these videos are destroyed now. But when I was a kid, probably like five or six, I think, we would go to this place called High Rock Lake, um, High Rock Reservoir. I don't remember exactly where it was, but it's somewhere in central North Carolina, somewhere around Davidson County area, and we would go there to swim. And I would like – when I was a kid, I would pretend to be Godzilla. I'd move through the water and jump up and scare people and stuff like that, and it was it was really adorable. Um, like I said, fortunately, all the evidence is gone, but um, oh, I still terrible. remember it. But, yeah, but yeah, I've always uh, I've always loved Godzilla. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. I'm a big – Baby, uh, Son of Godzilla is probably one of my favorite movies where they brought the little baby Godzilla. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm a big uh, KG fan of it. And I think it has a lot to do. And, and the pattern that they're taking Godzilla on, I really do think it has a lot to do with our mental angst. And I think it's, it, it's looking at Godzilla is a really good way of looking at how we see the unbridled nature of what mm-hmm. the nature could be. Absolutely. Sometimes it's friends, and you know, protected us. Mhm. So yeah, I mean, you know, Godzilla even the, even the. I'm sorry. sorry. Go right ahead. Oh, well, I was gonna say, um, you know, even though Godzilla is fiction, I think that he, I think he reflects a lot of us. I think that he is. Um, I think we can learn a lot from him, um, because I mean, you know, he does what he has to do. Uh, he keeps his eye on the target. He doesn't let anything knock him aside, even when. Even when humans are shooting at him, like in the 2014 movie when he's going after the monsters, even as you know the humans are are still too stupid to understand that he's trying to help them, um, and and they're shooting at him still, he doesn't let he doesn't let anything bother him. He keeps his eye right on the target. He doesn't let anything knock him off course, and he goes right to it and takes care of it. So I, I, he rises to the occasion. I think we can learn a lot from him. I can't say it better than that. That really, that is really well said. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for being on the show tonight. Um, yeah, it's great. So, uh, absolutely. So you can check out his books. You can check out uh, his, his materials. He's got his website. Any last thoughts before you go? Anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I just want to say it's been a great pleasure. I always enjoy um, being a part of the pagan community and the Hellenic community, and I'd uh, be glad to come back any other time you want me to. Oh, terrific, and and we will. So you've been listening to Chicago Pagan Radio tonight, and with that, we're going to say good night and talk to you soon. Good night, everybody. Good night, Chris. Thank you.